Hello everyone and welcome to Minute 59 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action film, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob and once again on this lovely Thursday we are still on location in Baltimore. So my guest slash host is Nick Rehack, uh, formerly of French Toast Sunday and it, Welcome back to the show, and thank you for still having me here. <laughs> thank you for having me back, and you're welcome. <laughs> why not? Why not? Well, yeah. it's uh, it, it's been a, it's been a fun road trip. I can't know. believe it's day four. It's going to feel like it's almost over, yeah, which I don't yeah. like. Well, that's what it, that's what it is. You yeah, know, that's how time works. <laughs> you got to deal with it. That's it. You know, nothing you can do there. Nope. All right. So minute fifty nine begins with a man on the radio. Uh, or a man and a radio talking over one another, and ends with John revealing himself. So yesterday's minute ended with, uh, well, we now know it's Richard Thornburg, mm-hmm. you know, sitting there on the phone talking to his girlfriend Monica, promising her that he's going to be able to, you know, make sure to to get a reservation because he's good friends with Wolfgang. And at this point, we hear the the radio. Which says, officer in need of assistance. And then his, uh, at the same time, Thornburg is saying, I interviewed him for God's sake. And then we hear the radio say again, reports of shot fired, shots fired at Nakatomi, 2000 block Avenue of the Stars. Repeat, officer needs assistance at, and then we hear Powell. I'm in Nakatomi Plaza. They're turning my car into Swiss cheese. <laughs> I need backup assistance now. Now, goddammit, now. And first of all, I, the fact that they mentioned the Swiss cheese here, you know, this is obviously a different take than what they use for the last minute. I mean, yesterday we were talking about it. He didn't mention anything about Swiss cheese. No. He he talked about the fact that I'm in Nakatomi and, and you know, he needs this. I need backup assistance now. Now, goddammit, now. So it's not like he would have said that afterwards. Well, I think he's finally come down from the adrenaline of it all. But he's still saying the same thing again. In the same kind of... No, he's saying the same... Uh, 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 he's, he's saying, you know, now, goddammit, now. Well, I guess maybe he's if trying he, to, like... If he's calmed down, I don't think he would still... Ah, so you're saying this is it, this is an addition. This isn't just a different take. Maybe he wants to really press the point home. So he's like, now let me take it up a notch so they have, like, a visual of, oh, no. Because of the cheese. Okay, it could be. Potentially. It, it's <laughs> very possible. No, so, okay, so they mentioned Swiss cheese. What do you know about Swiss cheese? I know it's got holes in it. Um, I don't think, I think it's a natural occurring hole. Um, and it's got like a, I can't describe the taste, but I know I kind of like it, especially in like a Cordon Bleu setting. But that's about it. Okay, that's fair. So Swiss cheese is a variety of cheese that resembles Emmental cheese, a hmm. yellow medium hard cheese that originated in the area around Emmental, Switzerland. It is classified as a Swiss type or Alpine cheese. Some types of Swiss cheese have a distinctive appearance as the blocks or rounds of cheese are riddled with holes, mm-hmm. known as eyes. Swiss huh. cheese without eyes is known as blind. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's rude. <laughs> so, Swiss cheese without holes is known as blind Swiss cheese. Hmm. Interesting. So the, they use three different types of bacteria to produce uh, Swiss cheese. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try to 
to to pronounce these. <laughs> I don't really know if I'm gonna. There's Streptococcus salivarius, subspecies Therm, uh, Therm, Thermoph- uh, Thermophilus. Okay, maybe. Sure. That's one. Second one is Lactobacillus. The third one is Propionibacterium. Hmm. Okay. In the, the late stage of cheese production, the uh, Propionia bacteria consumes the lactic acid excreted by the other bacteria and that releases acetate, propionic acid, and carbon dioxide gas. Really? And the carbon dioxide slowly forms the bubbles that eventually develop the eyes. Okay, so it is naturally occurring. That's good. Yeah. The acetate and, and propionic acid gives Swiss its nutty and sweet flavor. Mm. A hypothesis proposed by Swiss researchers in 2015 notes that particular matter may also play a role in a hole's development and, and that modern sanitation eliminates debris such as hay dust in the milk plays, plays a role in reducing hole size in Swiss cheese or even blind cheese. Hay dust? Okay. Historically, the holes were seen as a sign of imperfection, and cheesemakers originally tried to avoid them by pressing during production. Hmm. The holes only became an identifier of the cheese in modern times. In general, the larger the eyes in the Swiss cheese, the more pronounced its flavor, because a longer fermentation period gives the bacteria more time to act. Okay. I don't know, this, it just sounds weird to be eating food that's, you know, uh, created via bacteria. You know, when you think of bacteria, you don't think of good things. No, you think of, like, I need penicillin or I need something that's right. You to... think you're going to get sick from it. Yeah. So that's what it sounds to, to me. It's just funny how it works sometimes. Yeah. So it says that this poses a problem because cheese with large eyes doesn't slice as well and comes apart when used using well, mechanical slicers. As a result, the U.S. industry regulators have reduced the minimum eye size with which Swiss cheese can receive a grade A stamp. Huh. Wow. All because it's inconvenient for some people. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> so absurd. So, okay, here, here's a, here's a question for you. In 2014, this is the year I was able to get the, the data from. Okay, how many pounds of Swiss cheese were reportedly produced in the U.S.? Produced in the U.S.? Yes, in 2014. In pounds, I'm going to say, and I'm probably low on this. I'm going to say 25,000 pounds. You are very low. It's Two hundred and ninety-seven point eight million pounds. What? <laughs> that was way off. Oh my! I just figure if it's a Swiss, like we'd be importing it, it'd be predominantly over there, and we'd no, be focused on more like here. American. And if they're making it here, Jeez. So I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's so much. That's a lot. I oh, was geez. way low. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And there are two kinds of American Swiss cheese, which are known as Baby Swiss and Lacy Swiss. Okay. They're two different uh, varieties of American Swiss cheese. All right. I'll take uh, it. Lacy Swiss is used with low-fat milk, and Baby Swiss is made with whole milk. All right. Uh, they were developed in the mid-60s uh, in Ohio. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Because really, I mean, a lot of people would think like the Midwest for cows, but Ohio's got a lot of cows. New Jersey has a lot of cows. Like, it's well, you, when you think of cheese, you think of Wisconsin. That too. You so, think of a little bit north, yeah. where there's more trees. Yeah, not alpines. We have conifers, but I guess right. an alpine is kind of a conifer. It don't matter. Right. So as Thornburg is listening to this uh, call on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, you see it on his face that he gets really, really excited 
about what's going on and basically forgets about the fact that he's on the phone with his girlfriend or with Monica, whoever she is that he's supposed to be going out on a date with. You know, so it, it's it's pretty funny though that uh, you know. And at this point, we we see that the cavalry is finally arriving. There are multiple police cars that show up and immediately cut off the roads, you know, around uh, Nakatomi. And at this point, we also get to hear uh, lots of police sirens that are happening. And, you know, even inside of Nakatomi, they get to see it. And then we get Ellis, who we haven't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. He shows up and he goes, I never thought I'd love to hear that sound. (sighs) That guy. Ugh. I mean, it's it's funny that you'd actually hear him say this. I mean, he says it to, to Holly, but it's funny that Ellis would say it because he doesn't look like the type of guy who, in any situation, would be happy that the police are there. That's true. You know, because I'm I, sure he's I, I guess got it's better on than, him. Better than with terrorists, but yeah, still, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, because mm. he does look like someone who uh, you know breaks the laws uh, besides just doing drugs. Yeah, I, I, I break. He's probably like, oh, I'm bending it. No, he's breaking it. Like for right. sure, he's breaking. I mean, we talked about this 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 weeks ago, but uh, you know, if if this was taking place now, he would have been you know cited for sexual harassment quite often, and then promoted to a management because that's how that works for some bizarre reason. When you let go, I don't know, would just be wait in right up the ranks or in nineteen eighty eight. All right, nineteen ninety eight. This time he would definitely be like a yeah. Very nowadays uh, it, it wouldn't work so well for him. No, which is good. No, absolutely. That's how it should be. That's how it should have been. That's correct. So uh, what what do you know about police sirens? Or um, just the term siren in general? I know sirens have been changing. Uh, sirens, usually they're a little bit louder, but I know when it comes to like fire or ambulances, it used to be a loud police like siren, but now it's these like deep like wave pulses kind of thing that really catch you off guard. And I think it's because people with music nowadays, they play a little bit louder, they're, you know... I think it's not really hearing up, so that deeper, like, very sound, like you're not anticipating, it kind of startles you to where you look around and you see what's going on. Right. Um, but I just know that it's, it's loud. Okay. Suppo- uh, and, and it should be loud. Right. So, But do you know the original connotation mm-hmm. of the word siren? Uh, like song. Okay. Song, uh, when I hear siren, I think of, like, the mermaids that would sing songs. That's right. That there you go. Thing. Yeah, there right. There you go. So the first known use of the word siren as a noun was in the 14th century, and it, it's uh, it can be defined in in three different ways. It can either be any other group of female or partly human creatures in Greek mythology that lured mariners to destruction by their singing. There you go. You got it. A woman who sings with enchanting sweetness. A temptress or okay. temptation, okay. or a device often electronically operated for producing a penetrating warning sound. Mm. Okay, a, as an adjective, okay, the the word was first used in 1568, and it meant to entice or arousing strong attraction or interest. Hmm. And that's pretty much what a police siren does, because it that's uh, it, yeah. It, Sirens generate loud tones, which mm-hmm. attract everyone's attention to take necessary measures to ensure the safety of the first responders and the public at large. Yeah. You know, the idea, you hear a siren, you're supposed to move out of the way, yep. or you're supposed to pull over, mm-hmm. or whatever whatever it is. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're letting you know that something's happening. Yeah. You know, um, when do you think emergency vehicles in the U.S. started using sirens? Nineteen... 
two. Okay, so a little bit later than that. It's according to this, it only started in in the early seventies. Really? Yes. Okay. And this included police sirens, which started in the early seventies. That, that, but they did use sirens beforehand during wartime in order to alert soldiers and citizens alike of various scenarios uh, that they need to be alert about or dangers. Right, or an all clear yeah, like an air raid, kind air raid, of, yeah. exactly those type of things. But having the sirens on the police cars, mm-hmm. according to what I found, it only started in the in the nineteen seventies. I was trying to think if there if I've seen like movies or anything like that that took place in the fifties or sixties that had that's what people people with sirens. But yeah. I, I can't think of that. Maybe maybe ambulances. Mm, maybe ambulances. Like the one thing I can think of is maybe in the Dirty Dozen, but that's World War Two. You know, right, and which an ambulance that apropos. they had, uh, you know, I don't know. Now, were they hand crank sirens at first, or did they have a button? I believe they had a button. It doesn't doesn't mention that here, but uh, well, it would have to be a button if it's on a car. It's a little bit smaller. Right. Like you couldn't have somebody, especially if you're by yourself, you couldn't be trying to drive. Well, the, well, the air raid, <laughs> the air raid sirens were, yeah, were definitely those were hand the... cranked. You know, but. Uh, you know, they, they, they have various different types of, of sirens that they use on cars, mm-hmm. on, on different police cars and stuff like that. Right on. Um, I mean, police cars in, in the 1940s, you would have like a single beacon that would attract people's attention and let them know that an official vehicle is approaching, but that's just the light. It wasn't really a siren. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so when the light was turned on, the drivers knew that they had to move out of the way. Okay. You know, yeah. But there wasn't really a siren mm-hmm. that was uh, that was added to to that. And they they decided eventually that it made more sense to to add a siren there also. You know, so I guess so people could hear and not just see that because uh, I guess having the the flashing light works at night much better than during the day. From that perspective, if you're telling people to get out of the way, yeah, it works better at night. And I'm noticing a little bit more uh, in certain areas, cop cars they'll be riding by without a siren. Just the lights flashing, especially if it's not as congested, because they don't want people to know that they're coming. Right. Like in, okay. for that area, they're just kind of sneaking up on it, which is I think is a little dangerous because if you're not paying attention, you could get hit if there's no, you right. know, if you're not really paying attention, there's no siren. But right. And here I found something that that's connected to what you said. Okay, <clears throat> compared to police lights, sirens are less ef- uh, efficient, mostly because they generate sound that can easily. Be muffled by other surrounding sounds, including loud music that most drivers are listening to. Mm-hmm. You know that. Uh, you know, so that, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's why they're also trying to change. Like I said, some ambulances now have that like weird, like deep pulse kind of thing, and uh, fire trucks just have that loud, almost like a railroad horn. They're just loud, right? And it's terrifying to see this huge, like literally, just tank coming down at you. It's like, oh no! Right, and also one of the one of the other issues is that you know putting the lights and sirens on cars uh, make them heavier, and the whole idea is a police car. I would have never thought that is supposed to be able to go as fast yeah, as possible. I would have never thought about. That. So they had to change the whole aerodynamics of what they're what the type of cars they use. I focus on aluminum, LED now instead of bulbs and glass. Yeah, things that things that are are. Are lighter, yeah. You know, okay. and uh, you know the the automotive industry itself evolved, and you know they 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 wanted to make everything also more aerodynamic for you know for for drivers, mm-hmm. not just police, right? Not just for emergency vehicles, but for for other vehicles also. So so that really works. 
All right, so they, they they cut off the street. Ellis is is happy to hear it, and and then we, uh, you know, then we get Hans. He's basically in the room with a bunch of his men. We don't know how many. We don't know who, because we were only focusing on Hans. Mm. And he, he basically needs to find a way to calm down his men. You know, and the best thing, the thing that I love about that is it once again shows that Hans is the one. Who know he's the only one who knows the full plan. Yeah, nobody else knows the plan. Right. Nobody else. You know, they might they might all know bits and pieces mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But but none. No, there's no one besides Hans that is aware entirely of everything that's going on. You know. So I mean, they they had to put a lot of trust in Hans here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I I'm willing to bet he had like eighty percent of it planned out, and the other twenty he's like making it up as he goes, and he's just. Like, hard pivots here and there. Some things he's obviously expecting, like the police and stuff, but I think there's other things where he's like, "Uh, I'm going to do this instead and make it look like part of the plan. Well, I wonder what his original plan was, is how to get the police involved. Well, I I think he knew it was just going to happen eventually. Someone was going to say something, somebody, you know, with guns, somebody nearby would hear it, and they'd have to call it in. Right. No, because as of, I mean, what he says here is, is, you know, his his line to to his men is, all of you relax. This is a matter of inconvenient timing. That's all. Police action was inevitable. And as it happens, necessary. So let them fumble around outside and stay calm. This is simply the beginning. Well, thinking ahead a little bit, and this is going to be a little spoilery, and it might, obviously you guys are going to cover this later on, later they're unloading an old school ambulance. So I think their getaway plan the whole time was leaving that ambulance where they might come across a little bit of police contact, especially when they you know have the explosions later on. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. Mm-hmm. The original idea of the movie, they didn't know how they were going to get out of the building when they started filming the movie. During filming, that's when they started making changes. I mean, we haven't gotten to the script yet. I'm curious what's going to be in the script right. when we get there about at what point... They, you know, if it'll mention it, but if you notice when they first get to Nakatomi and you see them all in the back of the truck, mm-hmm. there is no ambulance there. Right, right. They just so kinda... they, they they were somehow able to transport. They they you know miraculously transported tele, teleported the ambulance into yeah. the back into the back of there because it wasn't there. Huh. Okay. You know, it was something that was added later on into the into the plot. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. and it makes sense because the idea For is sure. okay. If the building is collapsed, yeah. and you know you have emergency vehicles leaving, so it makes sense that that that's how they would try to get out of there. Smart, you know, by by using that. Smart, but you know they didn't think of it when they filmed the first no. part of it. <laughs> that, that that that's the one problem with the whole thing, you know. And what what what's what's very interesting here the whole, the whole time is. You know, we hear static on the radio, mm-hmm. and then he picks up the radio and goes, "I thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further." And part of the whole thing is is that we never heard him say this. You know, if John is walking around with 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 the walkie-talkie, he should have heard it. And like, when would he have said this? He would have said it right after, you know, I don't know, right after Tony died. At what point would he have asked for radio silence? When did he get the walkie? Was that pre? He got it after after he killed Tony. Right after the ho ho ho. No, before the ho ho. Before that's what I mean. Before the ho ho ho. Right. So he definitely would have heard it. 
because the only time I can think is when the cop guy was coming in. He's like, hey, radio silence. But even then, as he's coming in, the guys are running down to go get McLean. Right. Exactly. Because he says until further notice. And, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't – it's not as if he says, I told you that throughout this entire mission, radio silence. Right. If right. he would have said that, okay, I would completely understand that. But he didn't say that. He says – you know, I told you radio silence until yeah. further notice. Meaning, at some point, he said, "All right, we have a problem here. Don't talk on the radio." You know, it's possible that someone can be listening in, or whatever the case is. Actually, he knows that. Actually, he knows that McLean has a radio because McLean went up on the roof and you know called for for nine one one, channel nine. Yeah. So at some point over the course of this time, he mentioned that he wants radio silence, but John didn't hear it. Huh. I mean, forget about the fact that we didn't hear it. Right, right. John, yeah, because, okay. So it, it had to have happened at some point, but McLean, like you said, would have been aware because he'd have heard it. Yeah. And then maybe he would have messed with them sooner. Right. And, like, you know, making noises and stuff like that to, okay. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then John responds, oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. <laughs> you know, a very smart equity way for him to... Uh, you know, take things, and it works really well. I mean, I, one of the things that that you know that makes this movie so amazing is the performance of Bruce Willis. You know, he is able to do things in this movie that that many action stars at the time would not have been able to do, and that was the idea also of keeping things light and fun. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the fact that we're dealing with a a theoretical terrorist uh, plot, you right. know, but. You know, they, they, he still he adds a lot of humor into his situation, into things that he says, into things that he does. You know, and it, and it works. You know, I, I like the way that, that 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 he adds to the whole thing by doing that. And you know, just I mean, we'll see more of it even tomorrow. Right. But right. but today, just by him starting and by saying, you know, oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. You know, um, Hans is a little taken aback by it. He's not really sure what to believe and what to understand uh, about everything that's going on. I think what helps it, too, is it all feels genuine. None of it feels hokey. None of it feels forced. It feels like he would say this exact kind of stuff back in New York as a cop, then, uh, as he obviously says it now. Right. So I think that really helps. Right. And I love the fact that when Hans is talking, you can see that he has like his Philo, uh, what is it, Philofax or whatever it's called. Oh, you know, yeah. Open on the side where he's got, you know, all his notes written. He used that, you know, when he was talking to Takagi at the beginning. You can't you can't read what it says. It's all out of focus, unfortunately. But you do have some drawings. But you can see, exactly, his whole plan is in this little book. You know, my, my biggest uh, qualm about it was at the beginning when he used it about uh, Takagi where he was talking about you know all his entire uh, resume mm-hmm. you know he didn't have a picture of Takagi <laughs> that's true so how he has he... all of the information about him except for a picture you know that's the type of thing that, that, that you think that he would have had there but it, it it looks really well and then on the other side of him it looks like he's got like a portable printer or something like that portable printer some kind of weird or, oh no that's the TV I think that's the TV they brought him, where he was listening, you know... Oh, no, they don't bring the TV... No, he brings the TV later. Yeah, unless that was already on the desk to begin with, and and, and uh, she was packing it up when she went to leave, Holly. Maybe. She takes the TV home? Almost looks like a projector, too, the way the, yeah, the bulbs be. sit there. Yeah, that's very interesting. Hmm. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we'll have to wait and see what that is. Maybe maybe it's not the... Right, the TV is actually... Uh, maybe in two weeks, they actually t- take the TV out. But maybe what they do is they take the TV out of the bag. Could be. And I think you're right that it's the TV, because if we zoom in a little bit, there's the screen. Assumedly, it looks like a screen, and then there's an antenna right there. And then right. a handle to carry it around with. So I'm going to think it is the TV. Maybe so they, those are batteries, like the big like C or D batteries. Right, okay. So they, they brought this with him with them and put it on the table. You know, they're waiting to use it. They don't need to use it yet. And that's where, wow, that is really cool. Because, like, I think in another week and a half, we'll actually see the TV itself. But, the, you know, you, you and I were talking about the fact that, that they have things in this movie that, that are foreshadowing, you know, other things that are going to happen later yeah. on. You can, you can find tools that will be used later. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There, here's another clear example of that. So that, that's really cool. That is. Well, for some reason, I thought it was a printer at first, but for sure it's not a printer. I mean, you especially know, no, because of that little slot there where it looks like yeah, something yeah, yeah. will come out, but then right. it's a handle. Wow. Okay, that's really, really cool. And that's pretty much how this minute ends. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to say about this minute? Yeah, I just, I I think Ellis's character is super slimy. Uh, his laugh earlier was obnoxious. Uh, just wait. <laughs> yeah, that's the other part. Uh, but overall, I again, this is another hype minute. This is where we're coming down from what just happened, and we're getting ready to really just kick off the film, like really get into the meat and potatoes of it. Because from this point forward, it's we're going, we're balls to the wall, we're rocking and rolling, we're not stopping. Right. Completely. Yeah. No question about that. All right. So the script has some differences in the dialogue, which in in some ways I like it better in the script. So, first of all, we hear on the police scanner, it says, Attention all units, officer pinned down by automatic weapon fire at Nakatomi Century City, request assistance. And then Powell says on the radio, Guys, you want to cut through the red tape? They practically turned this car into Swiss cheese. Which makes more sense because, as we were discussing earlier, it sounds more like a different take where yeah. he goes, Now, goddammit, now. Yeah. If he would have just said something like this afterwards, okay. That makes sense. You know, he's not panicking. He's saying it in a normal way. And then Thornburg drops the phone that he's talking to uh, Monica on. Mm-hmm. He picks up another phone and says, Mary, this is Dick. I want a remote truck and a crew to meet me at the Southgate in 15 minutes. Damn right, 15. Where are we going? For an Emmy. Okay. It doesn't need to be there. That's fine. But it's just very funny. And then he, like, uh, you know, just leaves the room and we hear on the other phone, Richard, Richard, you know, meaning that, that he cares more left about him. his his profession yeah. than Monica. Yeah. Again, whoever she is, whether it's a first date, whether it's a 50th date, it doesn't make a difference. Whether yeah. it's his wife, you know, who knows? That too. You know, he, he just completely leaves leaves her hanging, yeah. pun intended. <laughs> He's just so focused on getting in front of the camera and the success. And you can see with his eyes that line about the Emmy. And wanting that award. In his eyes, he's like, oh, this is what's going to put me over the top. I'm going to be the one behind the desk. Right. I mean, later on, he does have a comment, you know, uh, Channel 5, eat your heart out mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, but... Uh, and then we, we see that it, it talks about here that Hans says to his men, all of you stay at your posts. We knew that police... We knew that police action was inevitable. Right, meaning he must have mentioned it to them at some point or, yeah. or whatever, and then it says he gives an an odd smile and, sa- and then says, "In fact, it's necessary." So let them start their feeble efforts instead of in in the script here. 
He says that let them use their, let them fumble about outside. Let their feeble efforts until then stay calm. We have hostages, remember. We are still in charge. Again, it's more effective the way that they do it in the movie. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't need to change. The other one feels really rigid. Yeah. Yeah. And then after he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, he says, I-, I wanted radio silence. So then it says about John, it says, uh, John's got a CB on the table, uh, flipped to on, and his cop's notebook is out again. He's already upgraded the number of terrorists to 12, with a question mark, minus 3 equals 9, <laughs> and added other information. As he speaks, he takes ammo clips from the, the dead men who dropped, uh, and their sidearms, etc. And he goes, gee, I'm sorry, Hans. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's great to see that, you know, that he's he's taking notes on things. We don't need to see it, but it's still nice, you know, to see that because earlier he had written, he had marked down, I think, five terrorists. And right, he wrote right. down a few of the names. So here he's like, okay, now I know that it's 12. I don't know how he knows it's 12. Mm-hmm. You know, that even if it's just a question mark, you know, how would he know that? I think he knows it from when he first, he starts, I mean, you can't really see it in the scene, but when he's drawing on his arm, he's got a couple hash marks, and then he has specific names on there. No, for sure, that he does, but he only gets up to five or six there. Like, how does he jump now to 12? Hmm. He only encountered two people. He encountered, you know, Franco and, and uh, Heinrich, yeah. who he killed both of them. You know, he, he doesn't know, so even if he were to add two, he doesn't, he's, he has to add six. I mean... Part of the thing that always uh, makes me laugh about this movie is in every single advertisement, it says 12 terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. You know that there are 13? If you count Hans. He's not. Oh, because he's not. The rest are terrorists. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the thief. Yeah, the I'm just a mastermind, all right? I'm the <laughs> exceptional thief. <laughs> right. The exceptional thief. All right. That, that works. That, that works. <laughs> all right. You have anything else you want to say about this minute? No, no, I'm all set, ready for the next one. Uh, not yet. Not well, yet. I, yeah, not yet, but I'm I'm chomping at the bit for tomorrow for sure. Okay, great. <laughs> well, we'll have to get there. We'll have to get there. Yeah. So every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest uh, will give a story about an adventure, a misadventure, something. Something fun that happened to them, or it could also not be fun. Mm-hmm. Some story that happened to them uh, at, at some point during the journey of life uh, around, related somehow to some sort of holiday. Yeah. So you got another story for us, uh, Nick? I do. It's actually a bit of a compilation story. Go ahead. I don't do well on Christmas Eves. Uh, I'm, I'll be 33 in September, at least half of them. Uh, I've been sick in one way, shape, or another. When I was three years old, I fell back on a rocking chair and split my head open on brick, uh, and had to go get stitches, and whenever I asked what Santa got me for Christmas, I said he got me stitches, which everybody thought was adorable. Uh, I was, that actually sounds funny, I gotta say. Yeah. Even now, <laughs> he got me stitches. I, I always had like some little bit for some reason. When I was eight or nine years old, I was kind of sitting in the corner not talking to anybody, and my aunt came by and she's like, Nick, what's wrong? And he's like, I said, I'm not feeling very jolly today. And then apparently a couple minutes later, I just threw up everywhere. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, this past Christmas, I spent it here in the basement because uh, the wife had COVID and then I had COVID. Although she had it way worse than I did. I feel like I just had like sinus pressure stuff, but the test said COVID, so COVID it is. Uh, and then three Christmases ago, I had food poisoning. Very, very intense food poisoning. 
Oh wow! Yeah, I, I think you need to avoid. Uh, I think you need to skip December every year. Yeah, at, at this point, and it, I mean, I should have known better because it was Taco Bell, and oh, I. Okay. Yeah, so I I did it to myself oh, unintentionally. You could have said that. That's but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Christmas Eve for some reason don't I don't do well. I don't know what it is. Feel like I should just zoom or Skype or something in. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's that Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great. Thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. You want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, over on Twitter at the Rehack T H E R E H A K. You can also find me Rehack Radio. My program I have over on Mixcloud.com. It's me. We're hanging out. We're listening to music and uh, about an hourish, and I think it's a really good time. All right, great. And while you're doing that, you go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. You can find me very simply by doing a search for a Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, uh, or you can go to my website, which is movearoundminute.com. So, uh, Nick, you feel like uh, having me one more night this week? Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. All right, great. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. yippee ki